Hey everybody, welcome to Campus Comics Cast, coming to you from Carbondale, Illinois, with special guests from the Campus Comics crew, and now, here's your host, the man with the previews in hand, Mike No. So this is Scott Reed of the Campus Comic Cast. I am here at, uh, it's September 30th, 2018. I am here at Saluki Comic Con with Peter Poplaski. Uh, he is known for a lot of work at Kitchen Sink Press, a lot of covers uh, with the company. Um, also known for his cover work on the Superman dailies. Uh, actually was able to finish up some Will Eisner work on some of his anatomy art uh, books. And then of course he is uh, at least co-author or uh, partway responsible for a couple of Robert Crumb uh, biographies. So how are you doing today? <laughs> well, it, I, I was pleased to come down. It was fun to actually be part of a Comic Con and, and see how wild and crazy he gets here, gets here in the Midwest. Um, it's, I, no, I used to go to the Chicago convention, so I can't say it's my first Illinois convention. But I've been to conventions before, mostly in Chicago at the 4th of July mm-hmm. uh, once, and then I've been to a couple in, in New York. Right. Most some of us in Southern Illinois don't consider Chicago part of Illinois, so <laughs> it may be your first Illinois convention. Well, there you go, there you go. But but I was here uh, for an, you know uh, the reason I came is because I was promoting the uh, Chillicothe Historical Society and the the um, permanent uh, Johnson McCulley Zorro exhibition because uh, Zorro is like one of the sparks that starts the whole comic book industry mm-hmm. and I always find it interesting that was once 10 cent things for kids turns into a multi-billion dollar yes. empire today so it's something that is uh, you know it's it's good to think back to say okay how did all this stuff kind of like start and and where was the spark and and you can go back and study uh, uh, you know mythology and and biblical stories and and history, but when you get into you know the whole idea of the superhero, it's basically a reflection of the American character, mm-hmm. and you start off with things you know like like Buffalo Bill and that kind of thing, but um, really early on with dime novels, you have Deadwood Dick in 1877, and he's the first mask. American character, mm-hmm. I would guess, and then uh, after that, with pulp magazines and stuff, things evolve into uh, characters that either wear masks. The early days, the heroes were masters of disguise, and the villains always wore the mask. And somehow, when Johnson McCauley started doing his series characters, and they just wore masks. Um, he only had one or two characters that were masters of disguise, but uh, I find it interesting that with him and with Douglas Fairbanks Sr. choosing to do The Mark of Zorro in 1920 as a silent film, that movie changed both their careers. It focused McCulley on the mask character, and of course Fairbanks became the great swashbuckler that then inspired Siegel and Schuster to do mm-hmm. these, uh, to do Superman. Uh, Bob Kane to do Batman. They all credit Douglas Fairbanks and his amazing athletic stuff. I was reading a, a Life magazine on Disney that's on the stands right now, and they have a 
an, inter, uh, an interview with Ub Iwerks, who was the animator on the earliest uh, Mickey Mouse cartoons. Okay. And he says, you know, uh, Disney would say, yeah, we were trying to get a little bit of Charlie Chaplin and Mickey. And Ub Iwerks said, no, when I, the cartoons I drew, and he did the first four or five or whatever, he said everything was modeled on Douglas Fairbanks. So hmm. I was surprised that Douglas Fairbanks is, you know, by the animator himself yeah. credited to <laughs> doing uh, Mickey Mouse. So that's amazing. So do you remember the first comic book you ever read or what your first comic book experience was? <clears throat> well, my first comic experience was, you know, I was so excited about Superman on TV and the Lone Ranger that my uh, mother's uh, twin sister, my godmother, made the mistake of going out and buying me a Superboy comic, which <laughs> I was thrilled at. I couldn't believe they actually had comic books about Superman or Superboy. I mean, I was surprised it was Superboy. And so... I don't know the exact Superboy. It, it was like in 1958 or 59, but one of the earliest um, uh, Superman stories was that I remembered as a kid was Al Plastino did one called The Fireman of Steel. And I just remembered that because as a kid, I was amazed when, you know, Clark Kent is in a fire and his fireman suit is burnt off and everybody can see Superman. I was really <laughs> worried. Yeah. So that stuck in my mind. And then the next uh, comic that really hit was World's Finest number 101 or 102. And that was the first time I actually saw Batman and Robin and Superman. So that was pretty, that, that was really a one-two thing. So I was hooked after that. So uh, who would you then credit as being your biggest influences on your comic book career? Well, again, it's amazing. Um, you can say it's a curse almost. But, <laughs> you know, as a kid, um, you know, uh, there was a cartoon character on Captain Kangaroo, uh, animated thing called Tom Terrific. And I tried to draw him as a kid. I tried drawing Popeye. But then as soon as I got a hold of, you know, as a kid, you can't draw the whole character. What you draw is, I try to draw the Superman as. Mm -hmm. How do you draw the Superman insignia? And, of course, Zorro was easy. You just make a big, you know, whit, whit, whit. But, <laughs> but that doggone S was uh, hard to draw as a kid. And uh, so that kind of, like, focused me on uh, developing the sort of eye-hand coordination you need to start drawing, you know, uh, figures in action. And I went from copying comic book panels to then I would take a piece of typewriter paper and say, take a Bob Kane Batman comic that was really drawn by Sheldon Moldorf. <laughs> and I would put that on the window so I could see through it. And I would trace these, you know, Batman hitting the Joker, you know, drawings. Mm -hmm. Or the same thing with uh, Superman flying, mostly Wayne Boring uh, poses and stuff. But later on, you know, when I saw covers by Kurt Swan inked by Stan Kay, that was almost like a photograph to me again. It had a real, it was very realistic. Mm -hmm. So Wayne Boring stories were really fun. I loved those. And, but that reality that Kurt Swan and, and Stan Kay put into it uh, was really amazing to me. And, and I find all those covers to be uh, wonderful from that period. I mean, it's interesting what happens when an inker, I mean, because Kurt Swan is great all the way through, but when he gets George Klein inking his work, or John Forte, or um, even Sheldon Mardoff, I mean, uh, there's a, there's something that's just slightly is missing for me because Stan Kay himself was a watercolorist and a painter, okay. and his brushwork has that uh, authority to it. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes the other guys 
the, the, again, the stories are great and the action and all that stuff, but the actual touch has a traced feeling to me, whereas the brushwork of Stan K um, was uh, very fluid and, uh, it, again, I always liken it to the really good illustrators that were doing uh, illustrations in like Saturday Evening Post and stuff. Those guys had a an American identity mm-hmm. from that period that stuck. It, it's amazing how like inkers can really put their mark on a on a piece. And then I was at a Superman celebration a few years ago, and Brett Breeding was there, and he's primarily an inker. Mm-hmm. And he would go. He was going. I had this issue of Avengers that he had been credited for that he didn't actually do any work on. Yeah. And uh, he but he would flip from page to page, say, "Oh, that's uh, Terry Austin," and "Oh, that's such and such." He could tell the difference in the page. Sure. Where it's, it's just it blows my mind sometimes. You know how the inkers can not recognize that even going sure. from a page to page. Well, especially <laughs> if you if you know, if you worked with him and you know the styles and stuff like that, it, it's interesting to pick that up. I mean, as a kid, and and drawing and really curious about who was doing what. Um, I remember one time I counted the artists that I collected. I was about uh, 12, and I came up with 17 that I could <laughs> recognize. Like, you know, yeah. Kurt Swan, Steve Ditko, Jack Kirby, mm-hmm. Joe Kubert, Russ Manning, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, all these guys, uh, you know, uh, I would be comparing what they were doing in their work all the time because, you know, I was actively buying them all. And again, yeah. For you know, Kirby is someone that's uh, really strong, no matter who's inking him. But mm-hmm. I have to admit, having grown up on on the monster comics that then turned into the Fantastic Four, and right. the Avengers, I am partial to Dick Ayers just because he had a sort of strength, mm-hmm. especially with the monsters. Uh, that uh, those early FFs, especially when they were doing you know the chapters where they made it like a novel, like right. you know stories, you know those issues like. Uh, Gee, six, seven, eight, nine, ten are like they're all knockouts. The way they, <laughs> the the story structure and then the ink and stuff. So, those are my favorites. So, which of your which of your past projects would you say that you were most proud of? Well, again, I'm I'm amazed to have. I, I was lucky in that I dropped out of college and I started working with Dennis Kitchen, and uh, we had like an open studio situation, and. Um, I mean, I know he thought I was working for him, but a lot of times I felt he was just <laughs> working for me because everybody came through our studio in Milwaukee at one point really early on. I mean, Jay Lynch and Skip Williamson came up from Chicago, and then Eisner flew out, mm-hmm. and, and Justin Green came. And um, again, we had a, there was such an artist uh, camaraderie. Everybody was laid back. They were all kind of funny and, and, mm-hmm. and comedians. And Eisner, of course, was a serious businessman, but he was pretty laid back. Uh, or because he, he was interested in you know the, uh, the the market and all that stuff, but um, he liked working with me just like uh, Harvey Kurtzman and uh, Milton Kniff did because I have an art background, okay. and so having a fine art background, but turning around and and uh, considering these guys fine artists, I mean they were really amazed at that respect, and so and I don't have that kind of ego where I was trying to like. <laughs> Although, you know, one time I had a situation with Will Eisner where I was the cover designer editor for uh, the Spirit comic because Will was working on his graphic novels and he said, well, Pete, you read the stories and, and come up with some ideas and we'll talk about it. Blah, blah. So I just made a list. I said, you know, uh, Will, we got to have these covers uh, read from 50 feet away. And he liked that idea because I said I would go mm-hmm. and look at covers and stuff for his uh, homework. And I said, you know, it's good to have an action cover, but then we should have a close-up face cover, 
and then we have to have the sexy girl cover, you know, and then we have, <laughs> so I had this kind of like basic, this is sort of like a basic arc we should follow to change the look of the cover for every issue. And he said, okay, that's interesting. And then I had a list, you know, I went through the stories and said, well, here's the spirit sticking out of a window and it's looked like he's getting shot. And here's the spirit, you know, coming around a corner, blah, blah, blah. And it was almost too much like I was telling him what to do. <laughs> so he said, Pete, when you're talking to me, please talk in fundamentals. And I go, fundamentals, okay. Um, we have a big spirit head, <laughs> you know, <laughs> go for it, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, people like Milton Kniff, I was always trying to make his covers look like they were lithographs or big woodcuts, and he always got a kick out of them because I had to go and study the coloring in Terry and the Pirates and in Steve Canyon because he was a mm -hmm. great colorist. Mm -hmm. I mean, you learn a lot uh, if you're humble enough. I mean, I had to study all of the coloring for the EC stuff, and... Uh, you know, because of I was working because I was working with Harvey Kurtzman, right. I had to read all that all the stuff that I could find on Milton Kniff's coloring because all that Steve Canyon stuff he does is great. Uh, Will Eisner, all the spirit stuff is amazing, and of course, my background with the monster comics is the monster comics were so knocked out they colored him without thinking, but yet <laughs> they made him so expressive mm -hmm. with this simple like you know yellow creature, red creature, gray background. You know, I'd like. I realized that there was like two or three levels that these guys just played with using primary colors. Mm -hmm. And as a kid, I mean, even as a modern artist, this stuff really reads. Yeah. And whenever they reprint it, and whenever they overcolor it, and again, we were kind of, uh, uh, we were uh, like that in a sense that when we recolored a lot of the spirit stories, we tried to make it more film noir. Mm -hmm. We added a gray tone, and, and really tried to work with mood, whereas in a way, because it's period, and they just knock that stuff out without thinking, there's still a, uh, you know, a expression mm -hmm. that's a period expression that can be even stronger now because there's a retro quality. But when you recolor some of those things like the monster comics and you don't follow what they did, right. it's like the monster just isn't as interesting. Yeah, sometimes with the computer coloring, it kind of yeah, takes away yeah, from I the, mean, yeah. I, I really follow this and, and check it out because um, I'm trying to understand why, okay, why do I like this still? You know, why can't I criticize this when I, you know, I look at something like uh, the two-headed thing or something and the way it reads and the color shifts and stuff, it's amazing. Do you have any um, upcoming projects or anything uh, in the works that you'd like to talk about? <coughs> I've been working on one project since 1987 and it's called Zorro, the Myth and the Mask and the Image. And it was, uh, I wanted to do a book about the Disney Studio Zorro because I, I happened to catch an episode and I thought, boy, this is better than I remembered. How come nobody ever did a Zorro book? So that basically is the beginning of the curse of Zorro for me, <laughs> which I, I went out and uh, we had some problems with Disney, Kitchen Sink Press did, when we were licensing things for the Rocketeer. So Dennis Kitchen did not feel like really arguing or fighting over Zorro with uh, Disney if there was problems doing that. And uh, he basically left it in my lap and he says, you know, if you can turn around and put a book on the desk, I'll try to get a publisher for it or something. Now, I didn't have all the background, so then, the, you know, I had to spend years getting photographs and watching all the shows and getting all the movies and all the pulps and everything. So I have everything, I have all the posters, you know, in multiple languages. Anyway, I have everything, and so I've been doing art, I've been doing exhibitions in Europe to help me focus 
to say, okay, what kind of story do I tell? How do I, how do I uh, explain Zorro? Well, you can't explain Zorro just by himself. You have to include all the superheroes and the whole American character. So I go back to that. And so that's uh, the big project, which may never be done, but you know it could be. And I'm quoting my <laughs> friends from the BBC in London who I showed this project to last January. They said, you're absolutely right. This is very intriguing. Who would think that all these characters would come out of Illinois? Yes, you're right. It's important that these characters speak to children about ethics. And this is where we get the good book, you know, the... the um, what do you call it, the uh, two-dimensional character? I mean, sometimes mm -hmm. it's important to be a two-dimensional character <laughs> rather than a three-dimensional three character. <laughs> um, but, um, no, they said that's very interesting. And uh, so the, the ethics and the fact that it comes from Illinois. The, again, I like to think that these heroes are the voice of Illinois, you know, this <laughs> collective voice for, you know, saving the world, right. essentially. Um, but they, they really liked it. They only, you know, they said what you have to do is find some multi-millionaire billionaire <laughs> who's looking for projects and he thinks how can this make me look good this okay. is the mentality of getting yeah. a patron i go what i work i work for f i work for 40 years and this is what i gotta do now anyway um the but the springboard that i'm having fun with is doing a coloring book for kids that ties in all the superhero museums oh okay and so superman and explaining the museum in metropolis and the Popeye Museum and the Zorro Museum and including other Illinois characters is great. So I'm having fun. Awesome. So so if somebody wants to keep keep tabs on these projects or just to follow you, um, what would be the best way to keep tabs on what's going on with you or to reach out to you? Yeah, I don't really have a blog or a website, but you know, I am out there and if you Google me you'll see the latest IDW covers for the Superman books that I'm doing. Um, there's like three or four more of those to do and then when I'm finished with those I'll have done the whole arc of uh, the Superman uh, in the newspaper strips with via my covers from thir 1938 all the way to 1966, and then I also have done Batman and uh, and the One Wonder Woman book. So okay. uh, again, I I really am proud of those projects and they're fun to do. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Well, uh, hey, happy to talk. All right, thanks. Okay.